It's chaos. It's a different type of Sunday scary. It's your newest obsession. It's Dirty Driving, a Formula One podcast. We're the Hornsby sisters. I'm Katie. And I'm Megan. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back. Here we go. Another episode of Dirty Driving. And this time we're back from the summer break. God. But we are here to discuss the Belgian Grand Prix. And if we thought that the Knox were gonna stop for Ferrari, we just <laughs> we just were wrong. And we never thought that. But like if you thought it was gonna be better on this side of the summer break, you clearly do not know the clown show that is Ferrari. They have gone from regular shenanigans to now essentially giving Charles Leclerc a survey in the middle of the race. (laughs) Yeah. Get ready, Megan. I've got, I, I put that in bold in my notes because something for us to discuss today. I mean, it's so much happened. We got a new cringiest moment. I think, I think we can officially confirm we have the newest, cringiest moment of the 2022 season. It is Martin Brundle running after Esteban Ocon, yelling, Esteban, Esteban, he's not listening to me. <laughs> if you haven't seen the video, we will put it up on the story today. I, I'm going to try to play the audio. I'm going to try to play the audio and just see what happens. Esteban! He's not listening. Esteban! 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 He's not listening. It's comedy. Megan sent me that this morning before we sat down to record, and I'm like, someone commented, like, now Martin Brundle knows how we feel about his walks. He's not listening. Esteban! Esteban! <laughs> It reminds me of in the old I Love Lucy when Lucy would yell, Ricky, Ricky, Esteban, and he's just walking away walking. from him. Wants nothing to do with Martin Brundle at the moment, which not a lot of us wanted to do with Martin Brundle, but I feel like we have more to talk about him later. I do yes. at least. Well, we had a busy weekend. Let's jump into some of the bullshit that took place because... Why not? First off, can we literally talk about Tiffany Cromwell posting a photo of Valtteri Bottas naked? Basically butt-ass naked with his cyclist tan. Butt-ass naked sitting next to a pool with his cyclist tan. All I can say is please tell me he applied sunscreen. <laughs> he hopefully did. <laughs> I don't want to know who applied it, but I'm just saying, hopefully he applied some sunscreen. Yeah. And then we had, I don't know if you saw this, I'm sure you did, but Zhao walked up in his team fit on top with these emerald green pants, and I just had to mention it because I thoroughly enjoyed it. It perfectly matched the clover on their sleeve, and I was like, he is the next, like when Lewis Hamilton retires and we don't get... Lewis's fits anymore. I will be looking to Zhao to bring me the fashion on 
in the in the paddock. No one else can get to his level other than maybe Valtteri in the bucket hats. Okay, wait. We need to talk about Lewis Hamilton's outfits this weekend. Yeah, I yeah. love his fashion. Do not get me wrong. Do not get me wrong. But when the internet compared his outfit on Saturday to a tea cozy, I became physically, mentally, and emotionally unwell. I almost, I had to restrain myself, but I almost took a picture, screenshot of the outfit, sent it in our group chat with our mother, and said, Asked her to knit us one. Mom, can you knit, crochet these masks? Do it right now. Do it head, right now. Head masks. It's like he was going to rob a bank. Okay, that's also what I thought about it, but I didn't want to be disrespectful to the fashion. Also, let's see if mom can make them for us for no reason other than it would be really cool to wear them. So it had to have been hot in there. Like he wore the leather. I, I think the man is immune to the heat because didn't he wear leather pants earlier this year? Yeah. I think in Miami. That really seals in the flavor. Oh. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yes, I think we all know what you're saying. <laughs> I don't know about you, but maybe some of you have never worn leather pants. And but let like, me tell you. You pull them off and there's you're glistening with sweat on your legs everywhere. If you can even get them off. Well, I have a fleece-lined pair. So if that tells you about what I'm experiencing. I truly hope that. Lewis Hamilton was not wearing the fleece-lined version of it in Miami. Yeah. He probably would have passed out. So, luckily... I, I passed out just looking at him in those leather pants. <laughs> I was warm. I was uncomfortably warm in his outfit on Saturday. And that was just a tea cozy. <laughs> he did rock a nice all-green fit on Friday and the all-red outfit on Sunday. So, I feel like he recovered from the tea cozy outfit. He also, I think Zhao is getting the energy from Lewis to make sure his outfit works with the team kit. Like, the level and attention to detail. And I think Lewis does it all by himself because he clearly is capable of the fashion. He's launching his own line. We now know that Plus 44 World is his new streetwear company, which, okay, dude, like, do you want all the money in my bank account? Like, what do you want? Do you want me to just write you the check now? Well, and, like, someone posted on Twitter or some shit that, like, this ain't it because it was so expensive with all the taxes and the shipping and whatnot. And that's when I noticed that it had dropped. So I went and looked at the Instagram and I was like, yeah, this is cool. I have a storm, but this is just for this weekend. Are you telling me that there's going to be streetwear drops for the next, what is it, nine, eight weekends? You know, I'm horrible at knowing how many races are left. Um, eight, because that's eight outfits that I could buy from Lewis Hamilton. I am like, like I said, should I write the check now and he can just send me the whole thing? And then by the end of the season, I'll have no money. I told myself look, I was about to buy one. Did you buy one? No, I waited. I just bought, the, I just bought our bucket hats for. So the reason I'm waiting is because I was like, damn, this shit looks spicy. But... I'm in Brazil. There's going to be more to come. Yeah. And I swear if he drops a collection for every single race, the entire Lewis Hamilton fan group is going to be broke. I am mentally preparing you and all of our listeners that he most likely will be dropping a line every I'm aware. single week. 
again, let me repeat what I said. Who do we write the checkout to? Because me yeah. and all the other Lewis Hamilton fans are like, give t- just t- take the money. Take the money. I would really like a capsule collection to come out at the end of the season where you just like get the highlights. the highlights of all of it. But I think I'm definitely going to hold out and wait for Brazil and order from that collection because I'm sure that will be great. It's got to be. He's an honorary citizen. Yeah, I could see Brazil being badass or I just hold out for next season when the W13 is in a shit box. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. I'm we'll getting get there. ahead of myself. I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay, we have more things that we need to discuss. Let's talk about the man flying over the damn Grand Prix. So here, look, here's my hot take about this or my thoughts about this. My father, our father, technically, called the police on a man with a drone. And some man is allowed to, like, jetpack, helipad, whatever you call this specific device across the Grand Prix. And no one was concerned. My concern was when he was holding the track outline. Like, what happens if he drops that in the middle of the track? And then the next thing you know, Charles Leclerc's run over that. Because it would only be Charles Leclerc with his luck. So many people who I know don't watch Formula One sent me that and was like, what the fuck? Is this like a normal occurrence? And I'm like, nope, never seen that before. Probably worse than the drone. But um let's get like, his footage. It's let's probably get his better footage. than the drone. Honestly, you know what? You're right. It it is probably better. And is it true that he was going like two hundred kilometers per hour? Or did I I have no idea how fast that man was going. I did love whoever posted, I should have saved it, but I think I was laughing too hard. Said like jetpack versus f1 car and i was like wait 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 wait!" and then someone else commented is that max up there flying to the end and i died oh my god that's hilarious and everyone was comparing it to the green goblin from spider-man like it was just it it was so good It, it brought just the right level of spice to the weekend that i was not ready for whatsoever but like was no one concerned? Because I guess like, maybe did- I'm just always thinking about the worst case scenario. That's very, very likely. But is there like a no-fly zone? Wasn't there a helicopter up there? Like, I'm just a little bit concerned how the people were like, yeah, casually, he's holding a giant outline of the track. <laughs> Does he drop that on a fan? What I, I get that this technology must be safe enough for this man to do it. But what happens if like... He went into the barriers. Plot twist, it's Kimi Raikkonen. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking about, like, who would have, like, no large fucks. sums of money and no fucks and would maybe pro- – I'm sure, like, that's, what, air trespassing? Like, it's not, not like he thing. was – It's not like he was given permission to do that. I mean, how long does it take for the FIA to say, like, no one's allowed to jetpack over the race? Honestly, the circuit's probably like, yo, bro, where's your ticket? Where's your money? Yeah, where's your money? (laughs) These these aren't paddock passes. These are air passes. (laughs) $40,000. I'm sorry. 40,000 euros. Just wait for Miami. They're going to have, like, a helipad package. 60,000 American dollars and you too can helipad over the fake marina. Enough. Enough. 
<laughs> Obviously, that can't be a thing in Vegas. Oh, I could see Austin doing it. There's not a lot, you know. That they, no, would they be able to do it? Oh, my gosh. What happens if they allowed it in Miami and someone ran into the Dan Marino statue? At they Would they give, oh, my gosh, 60000 American dollars. You, too, can helipad over the Miami Grand Prix in a football helmet that is just like the ones given on the podium. I'm I'm cutting her off. I'm cutting her off because this is incredible. I when I typed someone flying over the GP on a helipad into our notes, no way did I think that we were going to get this level of entertainment out of it. How much early. does that thing even cost, Katie? Oh, probably a mil. Is that even like something you can purchase or is that like no. tech you have to like no. know somebody to get? Like he is probably- this something what happens when we're all – wait, what will F1 be like when we all are ha- normally helipadding? Will the cars be flying? My brain just literally yeah. broke. Like when it's it, commonplace it right for there. everyone to helipad to the race, like we all get on our helipads and fl- There'd be fly helipad there. parking. There'd be helipad parking like Zandvoort with bicycles. Yeah. But then what would the cars be doing? I oh uh, probably they had flying, to be flying hovering, too. Hovering probably. Will it be like xenon? We've talked about this. There is one rule: you cannot bring up xenon during an episode because I will geek out. If you don't know what xenon is, I'm ninety five percent positive they are on Disney Plus. And, she, and they like race on the moon. At they the race point on that the moon. We're all helipadding. We'll be racing to the moon. I hope to God we're racing to Mars at this point that's if we've really all got helipads. <laughs> that's a really long one. Uh, that's okay. a really long all right. way. I'm going to. 60,000 euros. You helipad <laughs> over the Miami Grand Prix. Well, in Don't fact. Don't run into Dan. You might even be able to helipad over Spa next year because in a crazy turn of events, Spa stays on the calendar for next year. You can only helipad for a low, low price of 59,999 euros. And you have to bring your own helipad. <laughs> this is my new favorite thing. Oh, this is incredible. Yeah, no, I'm really excited that it stays on the calendar. Honestly, after hearing everything from Connor and um, Nolan, our poor man's paddock representation at the Belgian Grand Prix, I kind of want to go. It's just been bumped up the... For for two reasons I want to go. One, because we have ponchos and we can use them. Two, maybe the footage was just a lot better this year and we weren't so focused on, you know, Lando Norris sleeping, Seven Mick playing soccer, Pierre Gasly getting a sausage. But you really, <laughs> there were a couple of really awesome camera angles where you got to essentially feel like you were there. and. I would love to be there. So I'm very glad it stays on the calendar. And depending on timing, Katie, I. I we could make it happen. If there's a double header. We could easily make it happen. If it's Spa and Monza again, like. I, and then we'll just have to take like a short break and go somewhere else for Zandvoort. I can't be. I can't be around the orange army. Orange is not my color unless it's papaya. 
And I won't be wearing papaya anytime soon. I'm very yeah. upset. I was about to say, I'm, we won't be wearing papaya anytime soon. So I'm very upset. I'm really, really truthfully super upset um, about this. So we have, we're going to begin this conversation by just saying, now it's time to talk about all the bullshit that's happening with Danny Ricardo. Segue into, <laughs> I'm just like <laughs> leading everyone right down the path. Last week, ahead of the race, we got the most bittersweet. I honestly hadn't fully come to terms with Sebastian Vettel's whole Instagram video. And then we had Danny Rick's Instagram video. It was not in black and white, so it was less emotional. Nonetheless, he said it was um, bittersweet to be leaving McLaren. And he they've mutually come to this decision based on a mutual agreement i don't actually know how mutual this whole thing is but ricardo said it was the best thing for both of them to do zach brown said that he's very hopeful to see danny rick back on the grid next year zach brown you on my shit list you're making bad strategy calls and you're being kind of a douche zach brown had his evil character arc this season yeah, and it's so my issue with him is that I really liked him, but it just feels like his interviews are just a hundred percent not genuine. The whole season gave me Christian Horner Red Bull vibes from back in 2018. We're like, I'm, yes, Danny Rick has a spot here. I'm he rewatching Drive to Survive with my boyfriend and there was just the interview about when um, the old team principal resigned and Zach is on the phone and I'm like, why did I not pick up bad energy then? Because we were just excited about McLaren and we were excited about Lando. Also, she did just soft launch the boyfriend. We have intern 2.0. Intern 2.0. He's in charge of math. He's in charge of math. <laughs> Because clearly we can't do it. Okay, clearly back to Danny Rick. We have a lot. Uh, there's a lot more we want to dive into here. First off, I want to talk about all the opinions that were flying around in the paddock. Lando Norris, I love you, Lando, but you really tested me. When he was asked if he had sympathy for Danny Rick, he said, I hate to say it, but I would say no. Look, bro, all I'm going to say is that's your teammate, that's your friend. And even if you don't, have sympathy for him there is another way to word that answer you need to wordsmith it with your pr team because i don't actually think they were asking if you had like sympathy like oh i feel bad for him in his performance i think they were saying do you have sympathy for how this is all transpired probably not the right way they asked it but lordy lordy lando could you have said it a little bit nicer and this is why I brought it up, I think, last episode. But whether it's Netflix cutting it or whether it's Lando just giving an interview, he is not who I thought he once was. Like, I'm sorry, but that's just a dicky thing to say. It's super dicky. Like, that's all I have to say about it, especially when you, like, juxtapose that with things that like Checo said and Vettel Sebastian was really honest he's like I don't know the details but I guess McLaren failed to extract the potential that he has and it's sad to see that he's been put in a difficult position hell Sebastian Vettel in that whole kind of response to that question said 
Like I've had the pleasure of racing with him and I've had the displeasure of losing to him. And I get, I get if you look at the numbers, Danny Rick has not held up his end of the bargain in a sense. It's very clear that he is behind Lando, but I don't actually know how much of that is Danny Rick having lost his mojo like Christian Horner or it's been McLaren setting Lando up for success and kind of leaving the scraps to Danny Rick. It's a little bit, dare I say, like Max Verstappen and Checo. It's also a little bit like Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz. Did you know that only five people showed up to the podium from Ferrari? I did know that because it happened for his first one. They like completely shunted him in Silverstone and didn't celebrate with him. I'm sorry. You have two drivers. You have two cars that you spend millions of dollars on. And I understand at some point you have to use one of your drivers to help your other driver in a title fight. I get that. I get that. But dare I say that McLaren... While I don't believe it's all McLaren's fault, I really, truly feel like they failed to extract the potential of Danny Rick because we literally saw it in Monza. It's there. So yeah, Zach Brown, live with that Monza tattoo. I feel like they failed him as a human more so than they failed him as a driver. Yeah. And that's why I'm not sure how I feel about McLaren anymore. I'm not sure how I feel about Zach Brown. Like, I know I have feelings of, ew, I don't like them. I'm not sure how I feel about Lando Norris right now. Like, unless there's this huge big picture that we're missing, which I don't think we are. I'm embarrassed to be a McLaren fan right now. I will say it. I am a little bit, just because I don't feel like they're protecting their own. Exactly. And no one- the list of 16 drivers, get fucking ready, because who knows what's going to happen to you. Well, speaking of that, we have two things to mention about this whole situation as well. Danny Rick was offered an IndyCar seat. He declined that seat because he's still very committed to Formula One. But Danny Rick has also been linked to both Haas and Alpine. I mean, Katie, the duo of Gunther and Danny Rick would not be bad to see. I would How not be upset by that. How many tattoos would Gunther have by the end of the season? Would he have oh, a sleeve? He would have a full thigh sleeve. A full thigh sleeve? Yeah, like Daniel's. Oh, that's called a thigh sleeve. I didn't know that. I didn't. I just called it a thigh sleeve. Okay. I, I, a thigh piece, maybe? I don't know. Well, a sleeve implies a shirt, so maybe like a thigh short? Oh, there you go. I think it's a short. That makes more sense. I have no idea. But nonetheless, I kind of like that idea. I, I would love to see that. I would not like to see Mick Schumacher not have a seat, so I'm just very distraught about the whole thing. And then in terms of Alpine, again, he is one of the 14 on... Otmar Schaffnauer's list. Apparently there's 14 drivers. Um, one of them, I guess, may or may not be Oscar Piastri if he's on the 14, the list of 14. Maybe he's got like an asterisk at the bottom 
considering um, actually, well, the episode's going to come out on Tuesday, but on Monday, so yesterday, but today, because we're recording on Monday, um, the FIA and Oscar Piastri are going to the FIA contract negotiation or renegotiation board. Schaffnauer is very convinced that they're going to rule in his favor. And I actually think that they might for two reasons, um, if these are accurate, if this is true, what Schaffnauer said. First off, he said that there is there was no by July 31st. That deadline was not in the contract, so it's been fictitious. We don't know that. And then the second part of the contract says that the contract goes through 2023 with an option at the end of 2023 to stay for 2024 or not. If that's how the contract reads, that he was supposed to be racing for Alpine till the end of 2023, then he should have never left. If the contract doesn't say that and Schaffnauer is bullshitting, we don't know. How awkward is it going to be if Oscar has to drive for them? Is it going to be awkward? Yes! Like Again, it, it, I repeat Christian Horner's statement. It's like getting dumped by your ex-girlfriend and bringing her back. Yeah, it's like divorcing someone and marrying them again. It's, it's going to be so uncomfortable. Like, part of me is like, just give them to McLaren and have McLaren fuck around with Lando and Oscar and Alpine take someone else. Like, I wouldn't even want him anymore. So apparently there, there's this rumor that if McLaren takes Oscar Piastri to race for them, and then Alpine looks at Pierre Gasly, then AlphaTauri has the option of taking Colton Herta. So there's this, like, giant series of, like, trading drivers that could happen here. Truthfully... I think as awkward as it would be, I think it would be, okay, look, Alpine has to have some really, really, really dynamic, toxic team environment that Fernando Alonso was willing to go to a shitty team, a shittier team, a shit team. I don't know which is the correct way of talking about Aston Martin, even though they're offering him probably enough money to afford Lewis Hamilton streetwear collection every race, the full collection. <laughs> Not that Fernando Alonso would ever spend a dime at plus 44 world, but you know, that's a shit ton of money. And now Oscar Piastri is like willing to walk away to go to McLaren and be in the long line of their drivers. So there's some piece to this that none of us know. We probably won't know. It's going to be kept very much under lock and key. Yeah, there's definitely a piece to the puzzle that's missing for most that may become unearthed by the end of silly season, but I highly doubt it. But when you look at what's left to be decided, we have quite a few decisions that still have to be made. And silly, this could be one of the longest silly seasons that I've been a part of if well, we Pierre Gasly even hinted at it, Katie, this weekend. He was like, when he was asked about Alpine, he's like, I'm not going to comment on any of that, which is literally commenting on it. Yeah. Come on, Pierre. I just want the best for Pierre. Yeah, same. And if that means it's at Alpine, it's a good option. 
Then that gets us Colton Herta at AlphaTauri. But then where is Mick? Where is Zhao? Where is Danny Rick? We're definitely losing someone. And um, Italian Jesus is doing FP1 outings with Haas. Is he coming back? Don't, I don't know. I don't yeah, know. I, I don't know about Italian Jesus. There's so much. And it's it makes my stomach like twist in knots, not knowing who is there. racing for who. I want it to be I want silly season to be complete and I want all of the contracts in lock for next year. It's so funny that we all can't wait for silly season and then we can't wait for silly season to be over. Well, and like I was fully prepared for it to be just like 10 days of absolute utter chaos. And I'm like, and we're sitting, it's like the SpongeBob meme, meme, 10 hours later, like four weeks later, silly season's going to be over. And I'm like, just sitting here waiting for the mind fuck that's about to happen with everyone moving. Yeah, we got McLaren playing, you know, roulette with which driver is going to have that seat. They could have a different driver every race. How funny would that be? They really could. <laughs> In other news from the weekend, Alfa Romeo announced that they are leaving F1 at the end of 2023 and will no longer be supporting the Sauber team. So they returned to Formula One in 2017 with a long-term plan every year they do analyses to see what's been going on if it still makes sense for them to be a sponsor be a title sponsor of a team and in july 2022 they extended the partnership to the end of 2023 we thought this partnership was going to continue we heard good things no questions about it and then um, it kind of flipped the switch and they decided to pull out of F1. So it opens up some space for interest from other sponsors. Audi has been whispered. And the CEO of Alfa Romeo, Jean-Philippe Imparato, said that the tie-up with Sauber, Sauber has been a huge success for his company in driving forward its profile and is well aware of the interest that Sauber may have in Audi and very serene about a different path being chosen. So, you know, as we are losing one driver, we are losing a title sponsor that it's going to be weird seeing a different name on the Sauber team. It's a good thing that we can get through next season with it. We've got time. I also, like, maybe it's a good thing I didn't spend 160 euros on that camo or maybe it's gonna go on sale soon these are thoughts i have in my head (laughs) so that some of us can afford the cool merch (laughs) um speaking of audi um they will be joining the sport in 2026 which seems like a really far way away but it really isn't when you think about it Uh, what that's Four years and four years ago was 2018. Like not that not that far away, but they will be joining as an engine an engine manufacturer, not as a works team, but the supplier. The 2026 power units will are what you know interested Audi in joining specifically. 
about the increased electrical power and the 100% sustainable fuels. So there were two major factors in them wanting to join the grid. I know we're going to hear a lot more about this over the coming months and years as um, they look to join the grid. I think it's an it's a great opportunity to have another engine manufacturer on on the grid because we we only have four right now. Yeah, it'll definitely diversify what's going on, and I'm really excited to see a fresh name within the sport potentially as a title sponsor and the engine manufacturer. So, anytime there's someone new, it's exciting to see what that future may hold for them. And I really, I think with that, you know, the bringing in new names and bringing in new investment, new infrastructure, new innovation is always a good thing, especially because, I mean, we've had, we have the four engine suppliers now, Ferrari supplies for three teams, Mercedes for three teams, no, four teams, no, they supply for three teams, Ferrari supplies for two teams. It would be a great opportunity to have a little bit more diversity in terms of the engines on the grid. I think... If you're not going to have everybody in the same machinery, then the more diversity, the better. All right. Let's talk about the circuit that we were at this weekend. It is actually the longest circuit on the calendar, sitting at 7.004 kilometers. The track originally was 14 kilometers long, and it was redesigned in 1979. It's a mix of long straights and fast corners. It's most well known for um, Rouge, the corner that goes up into the big uh, elevation change. And as we saw yes or last year, not yesterday, rain is always a threat at Spa. Uh, 2021 absolute dumpster fire that resulted in half points that made every team's graphic designer and social media manager pissed because of the half points and thank god we don't have those this year knock on wood and then there were some track changes as well so um over this time over the time between november 2021 and march 2022 they were working to make this circuit more suitable for the return of moto racing so they resurfaced some areas to smooth out some bumps and they made amendments to the runoff areas, adding gravel traps, realigning barriers, and adding debris fences, along with changing to some curves. Um, so little, the circuit itself did not change. The track itself did not necessarily change, but extra gravel runoffs to prevent, um, you know, issues with MotoGP. I love the gravel traps because they also bring in the jeopardy of. It makes tracks, track limits less annoying because the drivers have a legitimate penalty if they exceed. Like an, not a penalty where their laps deleted, but like an immediate penalty. I also really loved, I don't know if you watched the post-race analysis because they were talking about Mustafa Van Dorn, the latest Formula E champion. They were talking about the gravel traps and how in some situations, you're, you know, a driver is able to avoid getting beached versus getting beached. And Stoffel made it very clear that it's all about it. Did the car stop or not? So if like Nicholas Latifi, he was in the gravel, but his car never had to come to a complete stop. So he was able to get out. Whereas Valtteri had to come to a complete stop because he was going backwards 
and thus like couldn't get himself out. So it's almost like if the car stops moving, it sinks. It's quicksand. For it's essentially one cars. quicksand. Yes. So I like that immediate punish. I don't want to say punishment, but like immediate consequence instead of the driver going through the whole lap and then. 20 minutes later being like the track times were deleted. Not that yeah. we didn't see two track times get deleted. I think it was, I know one of them was Danny Rick and I think the other one was Nicholas Latifi. It didn't matter because they weren't like fastest times, but it still was a factor this weekend. I don't know. Track limits. I do like the idea of the gravel though. Make them more um, immediate consequences is what I'm saying about track limits. And just like known that they're in the wrong. Yes, I do. What I do love about the gravel is that I do like the little kick up of dirt as drivers are really pushing the limit. I don't know why it looks cool. I just think it's pretty in a weird way. Gross way of saying it. Okay, let's talk about the Belgian Grand Prix. This was the 66th Belgian Grand Prix. It was the 54th one that was held or 54th race at Spa French Corps circuit which is technically in neither of those cities it's it's in Stavelot Belgium weird situation I won't get into it but they have been racing here uninterrupted since night well they were here last year it was interrupted uh, but they've been <laughs> racing there uninterrupted planned since 1985 when Ayrton Senna won 20 of those wins have been from pole so theoretically we should have been looking at a much better opportunity for Carlos Sainz, but that Red Bull was literally flying. Hell, was that Red Bull on a helipad? Questions we all say. Questions we all have, not say. The most successful team here is Ferrari. They have 14 wins at Spa. The second place goes to McLaren with 12 wins at the circuit. The most successful driver is Michael Schumacher, who we celebrated this weekend. Um, but Schumacher is the only driver to have won the world championship here. He claimed his seventh and final title here in 2004. He also made his debut here for Formula One in 1991 for Jordan, which crazy, crazy to think about that he won his last title and debuted there. It's kind of a cool juxta bookends out of his career. Current winners on the grid, there are five of them. I incorrectly said it last week. Ooh, there are five. I forgot about Danny Rick's win in 2014. That is my bad. Lewis Hamilton has won here four times, but he's also DNF'd here a shit ton of times. We have to talk about his walk in the lonely road, his boulevard of broken dreams. We have Sebastian Vettel, who won here three times. We have Max Verstappen, who has now won here two times, once in 2021, which I don't really know if that's a legitimate win, and now this year in 2022. And we have Charles Leclerc, who won here in 2019, where he took his maiden Grand Prix victory. It was the first maiden Grand Prix victory um, since Michael Schumacher did so in 92. And with that, that's the Grand Prix. That's the circuit. Let's talk about this weekend. Which I think... To sum it all up is Red Bull dominated, specifically Max Verstappen. Only really Max Verstappen. We'll talk about how Checo was screwed here later. Not really screwed. I just don't think he has the same car. I don't know. I'll get into that in a second. Let's start with FP1. 
this was topped by Ferrari. And so there was this little hint of like, oh, maybe Ferrari isn't shit out of luck. But then we saw the Red Bull pace and we're like, yep, it's over. Weekend done. (laughs) And we move on. But in FP1, we had Liam Lawson, who took the wheel from Pierre Gasly for the first FP1 young driver outing for Alpha Tari. It was awesome. I do really like those sessions. Um, not that they're super representative of what the pace in the car is going to be for the year or for the weekend. But I do like seeing, you know, having the young drivers have an opportunity to be out on track. A big thing I want to talk about in FP1 was Kevin Magnuson, who stopped on track and brought out the red flag. It was really interesting because I don't know if it was the angle or if it was the fact that not a lot had been happening in that session, but they really got to talk about the red flashing lights on the top of the roll hoop. Those indicate to the marshals that the power unit is in an unsafe condition, whatever that may be, and they can't touch it without special gloves. So we saw Kevin Magnuson have to make that jump out of the car and you have to do it like all in one. Like you can't have one foot touching the car and one foot touching the circuit. So it was, I, for me personally, I thought it was an interesting red flag moment to learn about the power unit and how the cars are really designed to be as safe as they possibly can be and to make sure that everyone around them is safe as well. So I also wonder if the drivers have to practice that jump because let me tell you, my uncoordinated ass could not probably do that efficiently (laughs) and I would probably, I don't know, break something. On me or the track or the car to be able to make that jump all in one. Kevin did it great. Great jump, Kevin. Okay, then we got to FP2. Red Bulls were dominating. Max Verstappen went fastest. FP3, Perez dominated. But this was the session where we realized that the Mercedes were just a long way off the pace and it was going to be a dumpster fire of the weekend. When we saw the penalties coming out and we heard the rumors that Max Verstappen was going to be starting at the back of the grid, there was a moment where I thought, could this be? Could this be? And then... Saturday morning, I was like, this cannot be. This cannot be. So we had some highs. We had some lows. But Katie, what did you think about how weird the qualifying session was? Were you trying to do, I know we don't do math here, but were you trying to do all of the mental math to be like, okay, if they are here, then they're there. But if they're there, then they're actually there. Because we had seven drivers taking penalties. Honestly, Megan? She didn't even think about it. I didn't even think about it because I she wanted knew she to. She couldn't do the math. I knew I couldn't do it in my head without a whiteboard and an expo marker and arrows and a whole setup because a mental math is difficult and b I kind of just wanted to sit and enjoy qualities. and not have to think about where everyone was going to land and just wait for the report to come out of where everyone was seated and let me tell you it was a blissful Saturday for me so I was trying to do the mental math the entire time and I I got it right at the end until I forgot about Valtteri Botas having two 15 place grid penalties separately and somehow they were not a combined penalty and so he technically qualified 20th had a 30 place grid penalty but then moved up six 
sacred spots than ultimately seven because of Yuki. So let me just tell you, I did not have a whiteboard. I did not have an Expo marker, but I did have a piece of paper. And I am so glad I threw it away because it looked like a crazy person, like scratching things out. I should have just waited like you did. Yeah, you should have just enjoyed your Saturday morning. No stress, just watching some cars go fast. I'm sorry. I was stressed the minute I started watching FP3 and noticed that Mercedes didn't have the pace. I was stressed at that moment. I was all, I had pre-stressed for qualifying. I will say the Toto Wolf calls this qualifying session the worst Mercedes qualifying in a decade. Lewis Hamilton called it a kick in the groin. Yikes. Which is really unfortunate considering after the break, they had ended on a good note. But um, unfortunately, I just don't think this track suited them and we can move on. But nonetheless, we'll get back to Mercedes in a minute. Let's talk about qualifying. So Q1, Red Bull's domination. Q2, Red Bull domination. Q3, Alex Albon was in Q3. Yay! Yay! He qualified P9, but then moved up to P6. So he had a great spot to start the race. We knew he wasn't going to last there in the race, but it was an awesome qualifying performance from Alex Albon. It's awesome to see him in Q3. I think it makes me feel better about that whole like Nicholas Latifi Q3 experience now that Alex has been in Q3. All of a sudden is okay. Then we had Charles Leclerc towing Sainz. We saw a lot of towing because of all the penalties. We had Lando Norris do the same thing for Danny Rick. It was unsuccessful because Danny Rick wasn't able to make it out of Q2, but... We had Charles Leclerc towing science, and then we had the beginning of the Ferrari radio messages, where literally Charles Leclerc is leaving the pit lane. They have just changed his tires, and he says on the radio, what are these tires? And Ferrari says, it's a mistake, and then decides to do the lap. So Charles Leclerc is towing science on new softs, new tires. And there's, look, Ferrari, I'm the clown show continues. I'm struggling for words here. What radio messages, what are these tires? Like, I just feel for Charles. I feel for him. So we have Charles burn a new pair of softs because of Ferrari's strategy mistakes or really inability to be intelligent on the ball in the, in the garage. Like that, that's what we have juxtaposed with Verstappen who like sets his time. Then, you know, with two minutes left to go is like, yep, I'm done. Gets out of the car. Doesn't even help Perez. Yeah. Like climbs out. And the commentators were like, doesn't seem to be an engine issue because Max isn't upset. He's just done for the day. And then later in like the post qualies, he was talking to Lando Norris. I don't know if you saw this clip. And Lando was like, great run. And Max was like, yeah, I did it in one one try. And Lando was like, oh, really? And Max was like, yep, just another day in the office. He's like so casual. 
I get protecting, I don't know, was it protecting Max? Was it protecting the power unit? Was it protecting the car? Or was it literally just Red Bull giving us all the proof that they need or we need to know that it's only about what Max is doing and Checo's just kind of like ancillary? Like, Checo, can you defend? Defend. Defend, but we're not going to help you get into pole position. Not that I think it really matters at the end of the day, but still, everybody else is doing the whole towing and they're just like, Max is like, eh. Time to go kick it and play some FIFA. It's it's silly. And the one one radio message that I just continually go back to, like every time something happens, is when Chucko was like, that's unfair, but okay. (laughs) Like, (laughs) those four words, or yeah, four words, I counted them, sorry, math. Are like the title of his season. That's unfair, but okay. Is that the title of like Checo Perez's life at Red Bull? Does yeah, it he is. even care? Because he's like, let me just make the money. I'm at a top team. I I'm can the best fuck around and find out. I'm the best Mexican driver in the sport. Like he's sitting pretty. Like <laughs> literally, that's like that's literally like someone clocking out after they've done all their shift duties and the rest of the team being like or the staff being like okay bye like that's literally like oh i've done all the things on my checklist i'm not gonna help you with your checklist we'll go play some fifa now i swear i swear he was went to play fifa i swear okay we gotta get back on track here max verstappen like we just said took Pole position time, he went fastest in quality, but it would ultimately be Carlos Sainz that started on pole. Thanks to the toe from Charles Leclerc. Really got to dig that knife in there. With Checo Perez next to him on the front row. Interesting. So we had Checo and Sainz on the front row. Then we had Alonso and Hamilton. Then we had Russell and Albon. Katie, like, what, what, what can Mercedes do here? Like, is it really just track specific, or, or should they do what Lewis said to focus on the car for next year? I had hope for Lewis going into this weekend. I thought this was going to be the one. I thought this was going to be his opportunity with all of the penalties and Max starting at the back and Charles starting at the back. I thought it was going to be Mercedes time to shine and we'll get into why it necessarily wasn't for Lewis in a little bit. Um, but I, I don't want them to throw in the towel and just focus on next year because I don't want that record to be over. I want Lewis Hamilton to win a race this year and there's still time. I don't think he won't, but I don't think he can't. But you know what? Fuck it and focus on next year if it means that we're going to maybe see. Maybe this is just like an unlucky, 13's an unlucky number. The W13's unlucky. Total Wolf is straight up saying it's not going to have its place in the Mercedes-Benz Museum. Watch them put like the W13 like on the dumpster. Like it's right next to the dumpster. <laughs> it's in the dumpster. It's art. <laughs> <laughs> This was our year of struggle. Here you go. Here you go. Dumpster fire. A literal dumpster. 
with the W13 kind of hanging out of it and fake flames. And it's like, this is a dumpster fire. We should write to them and ask if we can have one of the old unusable W13s at the end of the season. And we will say we'll create art from it and we'll do exactly what you just did. And then we'll ship it back to them. Lewis Hamilton will be like, I love art, but I don't I love, love that. art. But, <laughs> but that's a kick to the groin. <laughs> that's a kick to the groin. Okay, before I hand it off to Katie to run you through the race, I'm going to run through the penalties. So I'm not going to go through what everybody had. Um, I'm just going to list out who had penalties. So it was Max Verstappen, Charles Leclerc, Valtteri Bottas, Mick Schumacher, Esteban Ocon, Lando Norris. <sighs> Wow, it's such a long list. Um, Guan Yu Zhao, Yuki Sonoda, and Pierre Gasly, who didn't have a penalty but ended up having a pit lane start due to a last-minute issue. So it was Yuki and Gasly in the pit lane, and then everybody else at the back of the grid. It would be Valtteri Bottas ahead of Max Verstappen, who was ahead of Charles Leclerc to lead it off. So we really had like, I thought it was interesting and I was hoping that this would be more of a battle. I should have known it wasn't going to be. We had like essentially two front rows. We had (laughs) Carlos and Checo and then we had Max and Charles in the middle. But, you know, no one could stop Max Verstappen, not even the man on the helipad. No, they could not. And I had to warn Megan. I called her last night. I think it was last night or, yeah. And I was like, I have something to tell you. And she was she like, She said what? it's so scary. She's like, I need to tell you about yeah, tomorrow's yeah. episode. I yeah, I was just to like, warn you. I need to warn you. I got to tell you what's going on. And she was like, what? You know, like, it could have been anything. I had to warn her that my whole section of this episode is going to be talking about her nemesis max verstappen are you ready for this i wore this just for you are you in your red bull shirt i wore my red bull shirt oh i almost just for max maxi this was not for max this is in solitude with checo perez losing the race by 17 seconds okay moving on (laughs) okay so it was lights out, and away we went for a fantastic start to the Belgian Grand Prix. In fact, the first 18 laps held most of the action, and I think by lap 18, we knew how the race was going to end. We knew it was going to be a Max Verstappen victory. I put money on it being a Max Verstappen victory. I told everybody that Max was going to take victory this weekend, and he did. And so forgive me all. Sorry if you're not a Max or Seven fan. Sorry, Megan, but let's talk about his phenomenal race. So to start it off, Sainz is away clean with Perez taking a slow start. He peeled across the track to try to block Alonso, but failed and lost out to both Mercedes. So Alonso is up to second with the Mercs behind him, and things got cheeky with Alonso and Hamilton having a run-in. Ultimately, it was Lewis's fault for not leaving enough space. And then Hamilton is then told a few minute moments later to stop the car, becoming the first yellow flag and DNF of the race. So once Lewis had his boulevard of broken dreams, walk of shame back to the pit lane, he admitted it was like around lap 30 something that it was his fault and he didn't leave enough room 
but it stirred up a little drama between the ex-McLaren teammates. And so we're already going to take a pause and just lightly talk about this um, because Alonzo said over the radio, yeah, what an idiot. We had a mega start, but this guy only knows how to drive and start in first. And Lewis asked, was asked about it in the post-race, and Megan sent me the clip of it. But he looks at the camera, he thinks about saying something, and then he shakes his head and says, I don't care, and he walks away. Um, but I've got, a, I've got a bigger question for you, Megan. Has Alonzo given up his last shits because we had him leave Alpine, he had words for Lewis, and then on top of it all, like just when you thought that Alonzo couldn't say anything else edgier, he had words for a Ferrari too and was like, they always make the strangest strategy choices. So has Alonzo given up all of his last shits? Okay, did he have any shits to begin with? Like, did he even, was he... Wasn't he just the kind of a menace all the time about this stuff? I have a lot of thoughts. So, one, did we actually think that Hamilton and Alonso weren't going to collide? Like, I'm sorry, Fernando Alonso was not going to let Lewis Hamilton ahead. So while it was 100% Lewis's fault and he admits it, Fernando was never going to let him by. Period. End of statement. Another point. I get that it was in the heat in the heat of the moment, and I've probably said some pretty awful things when I'm driving on the normal roads. <laughs> but to call Lewis an idiot, I don't blame him. You know, he was asked after the race, like, if he was going to go and talk to Fernando, and he was like, I would have, and then I heard he called me an idiot. I would do the same thing. I think that is disrespectful. Um, in multiple interviews, Lewis Hamilton said things like, you know – it was my fault. He said what he said. Like, I'm going to move on. Like, he was very like, okay, I'm going to move on. But I don't blame him for when somebody asked him, him saying, I don't care. Yeah, I wouldn't care. Yeah, I think it's like one of those things where it's shitty. It's said in the heat of the moment. You got to drop it. And luckily, Lewis Hamilton is the bigger person. And just let it go. But all, like, my last thing I'm going to say about all of this is, I mean, look, Fernando Alonso is not wrong about the Ferrari thing. <laughs> I think it's, like, the most accurate statement from the weekend. Correct. I just think, overall, the lap one incident between Al Alonso and Hamilton is just unfortunate. I wanted that battle to last longer. It's really unfortunate that Fernando said that and really it's just really unfortunate that Lewis had to walk the boulevard of broken dreams I wish they had filmed more of that because it was just so sad but it was so poetic I watched the race in 30 as I always do as a nice little recap and they clipped in the clip of him walking in the race in 30 it was an integral part Integral, integral part, part of can't wait for that to like meme out i also we continue wait, i didn't we haven't talked about this yet i just thought about it because i just remembered lewis standing behind the w13 with his hands on his hip is like 
dad when we've done something like we've messed up something technological at the house like we've messed up the tv we've messed up the internet we've left the pool float in the pool he just stands there like looking unsatisfied at what has happened in front of him and really that was the energy that lewis hamilton was giving me behind the w13 and then he went and picked up like the random piece of the car and like and tossed it, it into the seat and i was like okay roger that is totally dad being like well something's broken let me just like let me save that piece for later <laughs> let me put that in there maybe the, they can fix it i'm worried that lewis is gonna have to take a penalty because of the power unit i'm not going to lose all hope for Zandivort yet though until i hear what until i know if he has to or not i'm losing all hope yes it's good to remain in the again no stress until we have to stress we also need to discuss because you're talking about the first lap have you gotten did i miss it did we talk about did we talk about the visor okay continue no i haven't sorry okay yeah lap one man there was a lot that went down so While Hamilton was stopped, and this, I'm giving it early. This is my dishonorable mention of the race. Fucking Latifi. (laughs) Fucking Latifi. I'm, like, uh, I almost just hit my head on my mic because he pisses me off so much. Like, he does. So he runs into the gravel on the right side, veers left, spins, and knocks Valtteri into the gravel Ending the race for the birthday boy. Over. Because as Megan said earlier, the car stopped in the gravel. He couldn't get it restarted. Race was over. There's also a great picture of Valtteri standing by the side, holding his hands, one hand on one hip, holding the barrier with the other hand, just like, yep, here we are again, fucking Latifi. Like, I know he's thinking that. I know he's like, God damn it, Nicholas Latifi. God damn it. So... Yeah. They were both giving Roger Hornsby energy. They were giving Roger Hornsby energy. So this incident. Or does Roger Hornsby exude Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Botas energy? No, they were definitely exuding Roger energy. Do we think that they just were like, look, we're both out. Can we just go vibe in the motorhome together and sell your birthday? Yeah. um, I think it was the commentators were like, I hope Lewis goes and finds Valtteri for a birthday drink or something like that. I really I said, hope that they were hanging out. Yeah, me too. Like, look, we're out of the race. There's still like shit ton of. There's like 43 laps left. Like, yeah, you go have a beer. Why not? <laughs> Get yeah. Roscoe, Tiffany. I bet you. I really truthfully hope that it was like Roscoe, Lewis, Valtteri, and Tiffany after the whole incident, just hanging out. Like, should we have a piece of cake? Vegan cake? Just, just have a moment. The four of us. That's what I hope was happening. I know it wasn't happening, but that's what I envisioned was happening. Pour one out for our DNFs. It would have been awesome if Lewis Hamilton had pulled a Kimmy and walked away and, like, Kimmy was on a yacht, but Lewis could have gotten a helipad. Don't bring up the helipad again. (laughs) I'm going to bring it up as many times as I can. (laughs) All right. So this incident resulted in a full safety car and a DNF for Valtteri, a new front wing for Latifi, sending him to the back of the grid where he belongs. So I got my moment of happiness when I saw him in the back of the pack. 
But yeah, let's get back to more of the lap one drama because there's more to come. Verstappen, first time I'm going to say his name. Verstappen made his way up to eighth from P14 in lap one. So great start for him. And then in lap four, Megan, here it comes. We had Charles Leclerc complaining of white smoke from his front right tire. And we're like, oh, it's a puncture. It's over. Like, what's happening? Blah, 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 blah. He pulls into the pits. He makes it into the pits fine. We're like analyzing the tire. Is it okay? Is it not okay? And it turns out that it was a visor tear sheet. So when they start the race, they have like a bunch of tear sheets on their visors. And they rip them off after the start of the race more often because oil were, oil and debris will get in their on their helmets in the first lab. So someone must have ripped it off. It flew off and it fell. It went inside of his right brake cooling system, which caused the white smoke. And Megan, I'll let you take it away because I know you want to talk about this. For everybody on Twitter that believes that this is a Max Verstappen antic, (laughs) you must literally have lost your mind. Because if you think that Max Verstappen could plan this to happen, (laughs) you seriously need to analyze something else. You could have solved world hunger in the amount of time it took you to find the one splice image of a little plastic thing. Yes, Max Verstappen was in front of Charles Leclerc. Yes, you can clearly see that there is a visor tear sheet flying backwards. Kind of, sort of, not really. It's not clear at all. In fact, I'm trying to justify it. But if you truly think that this is somehow a plan, no. The answer is no. It is just an unfortunate circumstance that, of course, it's Charles Leclerc. Like, and Red- I'd also like to point out that Max Verstappen at the end of the race, when he was told about this, he was like, I hope it wasn't mine, bro. No, it was so good. It was yours, <laughs> but it wasn't a, a strategy. Or is it the greatest strategy? No, the answer is no. This was not a strategy. This was an unfortunate circumstance. Because if this was a legitimate strategy, if this was a legitimate strategy, then Checo Perez should have been Whipping them all out. <laughs> Max is in se- in 14th. I need 16 of these. <laughs> Takes out the whole grid. Max Verstappen can overtake him with team orders to win the race. Is Megan, this what they're all- teaching? Is this what they're teaching at the Red Bull Driver Academy? How to expertly tear off your visor, look in your mirror, and be like, and shoot. Oh, got him. Like, this is some multi-million dollar Mario Kart bullshit. Megan is on one today, and I absolutely love it. We are recording at 5.30 in the morning, and she's just on one, and you're killing me today. You're absolutely Honestly, I can tell you exactly why, and I'm never doing this again. Never. I repeat, never. What did you, you do? open Twitter at 5.00. 4 a.m. on a Monday after a race weekend. No. Because the people will just set you into the stratosphere with their discussions about tear sheet strategy. (laughs) Or is this like Helmut Marco's ultimate plan? I don't know. I don't know. I just, I don't know. 
<laughs> All right, so the race restarts in lap five, and Max has made his way up to six, picking off Albon and Ricardo, followed by Albon picking off Ricardo as well. Verstappen then makes his way around Vettel and Alonso before passing Russell. So he is up onto the podium by lap eight, sitting in third behind his teammate and race leader, Carlos Sainz. Did I think it was going to happen that quick? No. Am I impressed that it did? Yes. So tire degradation was higher than expected for most with the temperatures increasing from Friday and Saturday to Sunday. And the one-stop strategy became less optimistic. So on lap 12, Sainz dives into the pits before returning in sixth, all while Max Verstappen takes the lead for the first time and passes teammate Checo. After lap 15 and both pit stops for Checo and Max, the order stand stood as Sainz, Verstappen, Perez, then Leclerc. George Russell put his Mercedes in front of Charles into turn five and took fourth place. And the two of them, we'll get back to them in a minute, but the two of them had some moments this race. But before we know it, before we knew it, Maxi was back and snuck up behind Sainz. And what seemed like very minimal effort was in his, was within DRS range and made a mood move again for the lead before turn five. So I don't know. It was a clean race. It was beautiful. It was precise. We got, we knew it was going to happen. It was beautiful. Now for the second interesting moment of the Ferrari strategy weekend, maybe it was the second, maybe there's more lap 19. Charles is driving away, having a good time, working on working on George Russell. And the team asks, what tire do you want to go with next? Let's have a survey in the middle of the race. Tell me how you're feeling. What tire do you want? You make the strategy call this time because we have no idea what we're doing. So, Megan, let's just talk about this. Let's or just talk about... level. Or this is this literally genius level. genius level. Like literally Ferrari can't be Ferrari strategist can't be in trouble for not having a strategy if it was Charles Leclerc who made the strategy based on a motherfucking survey he completed in the middle of the race. Also, <laughs> look, Katie, if we had a plan for a weekend, like look, we're going to go to X event. Here are our seven strategies of getting out of said event early. Would you remember all seven? No. She wouldn't even remember two. Hey, I might remember three. You'd remember A and B and then probably like E, but you wouldn't remember C, D, F, G. I'm sorry. It's honestly baffling that first off, they needed that many strategies and B, they needed that many strategies to not win the race and C, they thought Charles Leclerc was going to know the strategy and D, that they asked him motherfucking survey questions about the tire strategy. And you know what? While we're on the subject of strategy and plans, I'm going to jump ahead to lap 39 where Norris was beginning to struggle and his race engineer replies, it's too late for plan G. G, Megan, have you heard of plan G ever before? No, I just told you the fact that it's ridiculous. Like the whole thing is ridiculous. ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. 
So, yeah. So, whatever. Like, every at every single time they had the opportunity to be like, let's not do the right thing. But but let's not make the wrong thing, the wrong decision be our fault. Let's ask Charles. Let's ask Charles. Because now Charles Leclerc is also the team strategist. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to have to meme something later. I will have to meme something later. I just have a, I just have a great idea. I'll put it on the story. So we'll, we'll refocus for now. So it's lap 35. Verstappen is now 13 seconds ahead of Perez and 22 seconds ahead of Sainz. In lap 39, like I just mentioned, we had the Lando Norris Plan G incident, but also Russell was two seconds to Sainz battling for third. With just four laps to go. And I don't know. Like, I know the race was the same length that it always is. Two hours. Like, I sat there for as long as I normally do. But it went quick. 44 laps feels like nothing, even though they're long laps. So, with just four laps to go, Max was 16 seconds ahead of Checo, with Leclerc giving up on chasing Russell and accepting the position of P5. Lap 42, Stroll attempted to pass Albon for the final point, but the Williams was just too hard to pass on Sunday. Lap 43, again, here, here's number three, incident number three of Ferrari strategy. We see Charles Leclerc dive into the pits for softs in an attempt to take the fastest lap, which left most of us, all of us, I'm generalizing here, puzzled as it was a shitty stop and poor timing with Alonzo right on Charles's tail as he reemerged from the pit. So Alonzo actually ended up passing Charles Leclerc while he was trying to do this fastest lap. Luckily, good on Charles, which I'm happy for this. He was able to retake P5 from Alonzo, but his lap on his soft tires was six tenths slower than than Verstappen's fastest lap. His lap on softs was six tenths slower than Verstappen's fastest lap. I mean, look, if Ferrari hadn't tried, we all would have been complaining that they hadn't tried. So they tried it and it failed. It was probably never going to happen Red Bull was way too fast. The icing on the cake of all of this is that Charles then got a five-second penalty because he was one kilometer per hour over the pit lane speed limit, which Bonato tried to defend by saying that there was something wrong with the pit lane, like the pit limit limiter. That is really hard to say. Pit limit limiter, pit speed limiter, whatever the correct terminology is. He said that there was something wrong with it. Based on everything I know about that technology is that there's a sensor in all four tires. So it would make sense that the front right was damaged due to Max Verstappen's excellent strategy to take him out with Formula One's version of a banana. But I really, how does that affect all four tires? That's what I don't understand. Ultimately, look, if he hadn't tried it, we all would have been bitching about their strategy. He tried it. It didn't work. At least they gambled is what I'm going to say. They gambled. Better than what they did in Hungary. Not great, but better. And that brings us to the end of the race. Lap 44, Max Verstappen takes victory from P14, his ninth win of the season. 
with Checo in second, giving us a Red Bull 1-2. Sainz took the final podium, followed by Russell and Leclerc and Alonso. Like Megan said, Leclerc got the five-second penalty, so it was Alonso in P5, Leclerc in P6. And the rest of the points looked like Ocon, Vettel, Gasly, and Albon. So all in all, we knew what was going to happen very early on. We knew it was going to be a Max Verstappen victory. I had a couple of my friends let me know that the race was a little bit boring to watch this week just because we knew what was going to happen. But all in all... you clearly weren't watching the midfield. All in all... Max Verstappen had a great race. Midfield was a quite a mix-up, and yeah, that's it the race for you. Great to see Russell get signs. Would have been phenomenal, but I do like that Carlos was on the podium, even though no one from his team showed up, except for five people. No, I, I mean, it. I think, again, this proves a lot of the this proves the story of the season. First, it was Ferrari, then it was Red Bull. And then Mercedes is there to sweep up positions when someone falters. That was Charles Leclerc this race. And he got top four, top five again. He's still sitting in top five for every race other than the DNF, which is impressive. This was also Lewis Hamilton's first DNF of the season so i mean all in all if you thought this was boring it probably was because you were only focused on what was happening at the front which i know is hard to do hard not to do with tv direction but um look to the midfield there's exciting things happening there we don't really know what's gonna go on there um it was awesome to see what was going to happen from like essentially position nine down there was that drs train and it was like who's going to be able to make something happen here is Albon going to be able to hold off and keep points and he did so it was pretty fun but it pretty fun to watch that i will say this podcast is brought to you by racing thread formula one clothing for any occasion their clothing features subtle evocative embroidered designs for your favorite f1 moments from ricardo's monza shoey to sebastian's australian scooter ride from Lewis's Brazilian comeback to Carlando's round of golf. Whether you're out to dinner with friends, watching the race at home, or cheering in the grandstands. Gone are the embarrassing sponsor logos. Instead, Racing Thread is F1 clothing you are comfortable wearing anywhere. Right now, Dirty Driving listeners can get 15% off Racing Thread's entire range of t-shirts, sweatshirts, and polos using the code DIRTYDRIVING. That's Dirty Driving. All capitals, no spaces, for 15% off their entire clothing range. Head over to RacingThread.com to shop F1 Racewear for anywhere. This week in fantasy, Katie fell to 17th place. I'm still in fourth. Our fantasy podiums this week. In first place was Gavo as our Max Verstappen. In second was Scooter as Checo. And third was Toto the Dog as Carlos Science. Um, I have reminded Katie multiple times to check her team to get ready to go for Zandavort. And look, if I were you, I'd be I'd be grabbing Max Verstappen, I'd be grabbing Red Bull, and I would be making sure that your talent driver is um is someone who isn't gonna DNS. Honestly, I looked at Gavo. His big points grab was having Valtteri. No, I'm sorry. 
that is wrong, was having Alex Albon as the talent driver. I yeah. had Valtteri as my talent driver and I got screwed. Oof. So, screwed. oof. Oof on that one. I did play some bets this weekend. Lewis Hamilton caused me to miss on two of my props. I really thought it was going to be his weekend, but I had a safe bet with Max Verstappen winning. So odds for him to win were plus 160, and I also landed a double points finish for Alpine, which gave me my second win of the weekend, and they had the odds of plus 240. So not bad. Looking forward to continuing the spread. of our winners and losers for this week, I am going to start with my loser, Valtteri Botas. It was his birthday. He was my talent driver. I I thought it was going to happen. I thought, you know, he had the energy. I really did. But, you know, Latifi really just likes to mess with me. Overall, I think Valtteri Botas had the greatest strategy of this weekend. He qualified P20, had 250-place grid penalty, Started six places higher ahead of Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc. But unfortunately, that contact with Latifi took him out on the first lap and ended his race on his motherfucking birthday. So he is my loser. But really, I think Valtteri is still winning. He got a driver room full of balloons. He gets to hang out with Tiffany Cromwell, who posted some... Very, very, very amazing pictures of him, including the Nike one. But really, I I mean, a lot of the other pictures were cute. Like the ones of them holding cocktails I thought was really sweet, too. So I really like them together. Not that they needed my seal of approval, but they've got it. (laughs) They got it. And my loser, which I struggled picking, so I, I picked an easy one was Lewis Hamilton. I just, he stayed on track until midnight the night before working for a way to find a win. I think may have been a little too eager to get the first win of the season that allowed for this silly mistake, but I would have loved to see him battle this race. And so he's unfortunately my loser because he didn't get past lap one. And he had his boulevard of broken dreams of shame walk back to the pits. What would be really great is if he like took that heartache and made it into something for his streetwear collection. Like that image of him walking. That'd be cool. would be really cool. So not only are we going to have race or streetwear that drops pre-race weekend, we're, gonna we're have also going to have post-race weekend. Race reaction streetwear. <laughs> Love this. So for my winner, I actually was going to do Esty Bestie. I really was going to do it with Esteban. But then I then I saw Gasly's post-race interview where he talked about having to have the pit lane start and having 90 seconds before the race. Like literally 90 seconds before the race start, they were not sure if he was going to be able to start the race because they couldn't get the engine started. And then they got the engine started, he was able to start the race and then ended P9, which is not a lot of points, but considering where they were a minute and a half before the race start, I thought that that was quite impressive, especially on his 100th Grand Prix. So I ultimately had to go with Pierre. I don't think that in terms of like race performance, it was the best race performance I've ever seen from him or the best race performance of yesterday. 
I would probably put Esteban ahead of him. I would really put Albon ahead of him, who was able to hold off that DRS train. But in terms of from where they could have been to where they were, I'm gonna I went with Pierre Gasly. Don't be mad. You're doing Max. Like it's done. I'm doing Max. Do you even I, this entire episode was an ode to Max Verstappen by you. It, it is an ode to Max Verstappen, and you guys know why he's my winner. But there's just a couple things that I wanted to point out that I didn't include earlier. So he won from. 10th on the grid last time out in Hungary and Sunday he did one better and one from 14th on the grid. So two races back to back winning from 10th or lower and Red Bull had only won one race in their history from outside the top six before Hungary. So it's an ode to how far Red Bull has come and how they have now become the dominating team in Formula One. Consecutive races won from 10th or lower on the grid has only actually happened once before in F1 history with Bruce McLaren in the last race of 1959 and the first race of 1960. So Max Verstappen gets to add his name to the list of drivers who have done that. So all in all, I struggle with coming to terms of accepting this, but we could be at the start of Max Verstappen's reign of domination for the next couple of seasons. We will just have to wait and see how it turns out. But I think this season is definitely the turning point. I know last season, I try to forget about last season, honestly, and he didn't deserve to win that one. But from what he's shown me this year, he is very deserving of it. Katie, it's just the car. I'm sorry. I was being Max Verstappen <laughs> fans about Lewis Hamilton. <laughs> it's just the car. It's not Max. It's just the car. All right. For our hidden gem of the week, I actually picked two, Megan. Sorry, but um, I couldn't decide between. One is also like a little lame. Um, I feel like they could have done a lot better or they could have done something even more, but Mick received a hat and a shirt. That's what I mean by a little lame. I feel like they could have done something a little bit better as a tribute to Michael's first victory in spa 30 years ago in 1992. So great that they honored him and honored that moment. Like Megan said, spa was great bookends to Michael Schumacher's career. Um, so nice to see that they, you know, are recognizing his name. My second hidden gem was how cool the trophies were this week. I kind of geeked out over them a little bit. I don't know if you saw um, the specifics of them, but the trophies were 100% made, 100% sustainable and recycled, made from oak tree roots that was actually found at the circuit. And then pieces of the asphalt for, from the Redillion corner were included. And then some water from Eruge, which is the river that gives the corner that name. So um, very unique trophies that were given out for first. For our honorable mention, because I couldn't make it my winner. Well, I could have, but I didn't. Is Alex Albon. He made Q3 for the first time this season. He started the race in P6. He ultimately finished in P10, which... Sounds like a downgrade, but realistically, considering he was in a Williams and he was passed by 
both Charles and Max. Um, it's a really good performance. And he was able to hold off the entire DRS train of Lando, I think Lando, Stroll, Ricardo, Zhao, they were all in there. He was able to hold it off and keep that points finish. After the race, they talked to him, they interviewed him, and he was talking about how he basically was just like counting down until the end because he didn't think he could hold it off or hold them off for it. But it really goes to show the Williams straight line speed is really unmatched because if you watch the videos back, you can see them going down the straights and everybody having DRS open except for the Williams and the Williams going the same speed as like stroll with the DRS wide open. So great performance by him. Um, I do like to see him find success. Up next is the Dutch Grand Prix in Zandvoort, Netherlands at the circuit Zandvoort. The 72 lap race takes place on this Sunday, September 14th for the 15th round of the season. We are really heading towards the end here. It is originally made of a mixture of permanent track and public roads that snake through the sand dunes that make up the resort town of Zandvoort. The really quick, pretty insane and old school track should be Quite the excitement for the middle of this triple header as we then head to Monza. The first Grand Prix took place here in 1952 with Alberto Ascari dominating the race as he led home a 1-2-3 of Ferrari. F1 would race on and off at this track until 1985. In 2019, the announcement came that the championship would return to Zandvoort for 2022 after a 35-year hiatus. Much to the happiness, success, enjoyment, surprise, excitement, hype of the Orange Army. The circuit was modernized for F1's return with an increase to the banking angle at the famous Tarzan corner at the Indy Motor Speedway, trumping 18 degrees. The circuit remains a proper challenge to the drivers as there's essentially not a single bit of flat, straight, at all. Flat out at all. So join us next week for our race recap. Thank you so much for listening to another episode. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us at Dirty Driving Pot on Twitter and Instagram. Until next time, stay dirty.